good morning. That's, that's what happens when you're almost 80 years old, okay? I want to thank the worship team for the songs they chose this morning. There's many reasons why we, why we worship the Lord, and one of them is to prepare the people for the sermon. And I want to thank them for their choices. Romans chapter 8, please. Those that have Bibles, Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 11. We're going to use several natural examples to teach you spiritual truths today, as the Lord often did himself when he would talk about the weather and situations, the culture. We can learn much from culture. Since my wife and I have lived in various cultures over the course of our life, you might be very surprised to realize how much your culture in America affects you when you live in a different culture. Romans 8, verse 11. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Several very important words in that scripture. One of them is the word if. It might be a very, very small word, but it has a tremendous spiritual connotation. The word if. If the Spirit of Him, otherwise the Holy Spirit, that raised up Jesus from the dead, dwells in us. And if He dwells in us, we can be quickened by Him. We can be guided by Him. But again, going back to the word if, does He dwell within us? Do we have a personal relationship with Him? Do we hear His voice? Do we receive His guidance? Or are we set in our own will and our own way? I remember various times in our life when the Holy Spirit spoke directly to myself. And he was speaking as clearly as you are hearing me this morning. You see, the purpose why he speaks to us is to guide us and direct us because he wants us to obey him. The word obedience is not popular in many churches around the world today, yet it's prevalent from Genesis to Revelation. I remember when we were in worship at our home church on a Wednesday night, and the Lord was dealing with me concerning going on the mission field, and I was fighting him tooth and nail. And the Holy Spirit said one word to me, 
he said, Africa. And then as time went on, we realized what he was requiring of us to give up and walk away from. And I'm in the shower in our home in Marine City. And the Holy Spirit said to me as clearly again as I'm talking to you this morning, He said, Ron, you don't trust me. Ron, you don't trust me. And of course, He's always right. Because it was a question of trust in my heart. So, I want to encourage you on this thought that if the Spirit of the Lord resides within us. He energizes us to obey Him. He energizes us to obey Him. Romans 8, verse 12 says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. Otherwise, we are not required, we are not obligated to live after our flesh. Because Romans 8.13 tells us, For if we live after the flesh, ye shall die. Now, we're all going to face that day. That day is going to come when we stand before the Lord. But Paul here is talking about spiritual death. Because if we live after the flesh, then we will die spiritually. In that scripture, there is no ands, there is no ifs, and there is no buts. He says, if we will live after the flesh, we will die spiritually. When we live after the flesh, church, it's a matter of hardness of heart. It's a matter of pride. Tremendous hardness of heart that grows against the Lord and our fellow man. But the Scripture tells us also, but if, and there's that tremendous little word again that says so much, but if ye through the Spirit, otherwise through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live spiritually. The word mortify means to put to death. In Africa, very common, when you drive along a road, there will be youngsters, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years of age, and they'll be selling chickens on the side of the road. Live chickens, and they'll be sitting down, and they'll be watching for cars. And when they see a car or a vehicle coming, they will jump up. They have little baskets that they weave out of a certain grass. And the purpose of the basket was to hold the chicken. And, of course, if you bought a chicken, you surely would not want the chicken flapping around inside the car while you're driving down the road. So they would put the chicken in the basket. So you'd be driving along and someone's out there and they got a chicken in this hand 
by the feet, and they got a chicken in this hand by the feet, and they're still alive. So they're doing all the things that chickens normally do. So if you're interested in buying a chicken, you're going to stop, and you're going to appraise the chicken. You're going to look if one is fatter or one is skinnier. Well, obviously, you want a value for your money, so you're not going to buy the skinny chicken. You're going to buy the fat chicken. So what does this have to do with mortifying the deeds of our body? Whatever we feed upon, church, is what gets fat. If we have issues in our heart that the Lord is not pleased with, that we're feeding our flesh, I'm not talking about McDonald's, I'm talking about spiritual issues, and we're feeding our flesh, then it gets fatter, and it gets fatter, and it gets fatter. And when we don't feed something in the spiritual, it gets skinnier and skinnier and skinnier, and eventually it's going to die. So this is what Paul is talking about here. That through the Spirit, by submitting to the Holy Spirit, that we mortify the deeds of our body, that we may live. Now, obviously, it's always a choice to us. The Lord did not make us like animals with an instinct. He gives us a free will, and we all know that. And we exercise our free will virtually every day, sometimes every minute of every day. We always have a choice. Are we going to allow the flesh to manifest itself? You see, what we feed upon is what we become. Do we feed on this? Do we feed on pornography? Do we feed on having a bad temper? Do we feed on having the fruits of the flesh in Galatians chapter 5 rather than the fruits of the Spirit? What we feed upon is what grows. And when we don't feed upon it, it dies. And Paul is telling us here that the Holy Spirit is there to assist us and guide us and help us in not feeding on our flesh, to mortify it by submission. I realize submission is not a popular word in the church around the world today, but it's all through the Word of God. Just because it's not popular does not make it wrong. It's absolutely right. So, we allow the Holy Spirit to guide us. We allow God's grace to come into our lives. And we stop feeding this chicken. Romans 8.14 For as many as are led by the Spirit of God... They are the sons of God. 
Now, before I go into that, I want to talk to you about something called a paracletes. In the Roman army, in the old Roman army, as most of you know, warfare was hand-to-hand combat. And there was a position in the army, and he was called a paracletes. And it was his responsibility to build up his fellow soldiers. When they were on the march, when they were going into battle, when they were building roads, whatever they were doing, it was his responsibility to encourage them, strengthen them, remind them of the might of the Roman army, reminding them that they were the greatest empire in the world, reminding them of the weakness of their enemies, reminding them of the the victories they had. Because in hand-to-hand combat, you're going to see your fellow soldier die. You're going to see him bleeding to death on the battlefield. And that was his responsibility. Well, one of the names of the Holy Spirit is the Paracletus. He walks along beside us. He reminds us. He guides us. Don't do this. Don't say that. Don't go here. Don't do that. He reminds us. He guides us. But we've got to be able to hear his voice. And the scripture tells us that it's a very quiet voice. And all the times the Holy Spirit has spoken to me in my life, He's never hollered once. It's always been a still, quiet voice that sometimes you almost don't hear. And if your heart, church, is very hard, you will refuse to hear what he's saying to you. So he says here is that you are sons of God. When you look in the original Greek in that scripture, there's a connotation of the word mature. That when you walk in the Spirit and you allow the Holy Spirit to guide you, He brings a sense of maturity into your life. That you are mature sons of God. Not just sons of God, but mature sons of God. Otherwise, you've attained a higher level of relationship with the Lord, with the Holy Spirit. By the way, do you ever pray to the Holy Spirit? I do often. Pray to the Holy Spirit. The Lord gives us a maturity when we walk in the Spirit. And when we have that maturity, we have an openness to Him. We're willing to hear from him. It's not a matter of debate. You know, if if there's one thing that I believe that many people don't understand is that we cannot manipulate the Holy Spirit. We cannot make a deal with him. We cannot barter with him. Ladies and gentlemen, it's his way or the highway. We either choose to feed our flesh or we choose to allow him to guide us as we live on this earth. And, of course, when, the, when we allow the Holy Spirit to bring this maturity into us, 
and we're walking in obedience to Him, it gives us such a confidence in Him understanding and realizing that He's leading us in the correct way. I remember when we uh, got to Africa, it took us a year and a half because it was a groundwork, strange nation, strange people, strange culture, strange language, and we knew no one. And it took a year and a half for the government to even approve the school. And I'm sitting in the office, and of course, Starting a church and starting a school is like night and day. You start a church, the curious will come in, people will walk by, oh, there's a new church in town, whatever the case may be. But when you start a school, what, what kind of school? Who are the couriers? What do they represent? What are they teaching? Are they teaching truth? And I was sitting at my desk and I said, I said to the Lord, Lord, um, Let's advertise. Let's put some advertisement in the local newspapers and that kind of thing. And the Lord said to me this very clearly. He said, Ron, do not advertise. I will bring you the students I want you to have. So it was the Lord that opened the school. It was the Holy Spirit that guided the students there for all of those course of years. We did not advertise. Praise God. Amen. Romans 8.15 For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again for fear, but ye have not received the spirit of bondage Again, for fear. America is a nation that's full of prosperity. America is a nation that's full of the American dream. We all know what I'm talking about. And I'll be very frank with you. Prosperity can be a thief. Because prosperity robs us from a relationship with the Lord. We get so wrapped up in prosperity. What is always the number one issue that I've observed over the years when you have an election in America for the presidency? What's the number one commentary from the news media? How is prosperity? prosperity of the nation? How is the condition of the economy of the nation? When we live under that kind of spirit, and I tell you that is an actual spirit, God is robbed of relationship. Many of our problems are solved under the guise of prosperity. You got, you, you got a problem in your life? Go take a pill. You got a problem in your life? Go see a psychiatrist. Go see a psychologist. 
Well, we came from nations and realized, church, that many of the problems in our lives are spiritual problems. They're not solved with a pill. They're not solved with a psychiatrist or a psychologist. They're solved by the Holy Spirit because they're spiritual issues. We were involved at many different times with deliverance from spirits and that kind of thing. You don't hear that from the pulpits in a nation full of prosperity. When you look at all the issues of the United States, all the problems of this nation, one way or another, they are all spiritual. If man's wisdom was so profound and so right and so good and so proper, why is the world in the condition that it's in? Because man's wisdom is not the answer. God's wisdom is the answer. God's way is the answer. So the next time you watch Fox News or CNN or pick up a newspaper, there are, did you sell newspapers yet, I think, in America? Look at that and look at it from a spiritual point of view. Uh, how many men were at the finance thing I, I, I taught here a few months ago? Was there anyone here that were at the finance? I've seen a few, a few hands. Remember I made the comment um, when we got back from the States, we're driving down to Dave and Missy's house, and I've seen all these beautiful homes all along the country. Two-and-a-half-car garages and no room for the car. Think about that. Two-and-a-half car garages, no room for the car. Prosperity. I could do a study right now in the nation of Israel when they left the promised land, when they left Egypt, I'm sorry. Do you know that the nation of Israel left rich? you know that's in Scripture? That the Egypt, after the ten plagues that went through, the Egyptians said, get out. Take my mules, take my donkeys, take my garments, take my gold, take my wealth. Just get out. They left rich. They left rich. And what did they do? They built a golden calf and said, that's the God that got us out of Egypt. You see, prosperity can be a chicken. And we keep feeding it. We keep feeding it. And the more we feed it, the Lord gets fed less and less and less and less and less. We got a problem? I'll take a pill. Never mind that it's a spirit that's in you and controlling you and dominating you. Because the Scripture says a spirit of bondage 
church, there's not a wasted word in this book. There's not a wasted word. The spirit of bondage. Prosperity can become a bondage. You're bound by it. You're controlled by it. Sometimes the answer is not a pill. The answer is, Lord Jesus, will you free me from this? There was a young lady, Mary Beth and I have known for years. Um, the first few years we were in Africa, we worked with Teen Challenge. Does everyone here know what Teen Challenge is? Drug abuse, alcohol abuse, all kinds of abuses, all kinds of spirits. We trained the staff theologically for several years. And there was a young lady that um, came into the program and many, many problems, many spiritual problems. And she shared with us, she had a twin. She had a twin sister. The twin sister died. And at the funeral, she was instructed to climb in the grave and lay her body over the top of her sister. And her spirit from her sister came into her. That's not unheard of. That's, not, that's unheard of in the United States, is it? You'd be surprised. And, of course, obviously that spirit... Was, in, was put her into bondage. And she shared that with us, and she came for prayer, and we prayed over her, and the Holy Spirit came and delivered her, took that spirit out of her like that. And you ought to have seen the change in her life. Married to a godly husband now, two children, working for the Lord in ministry all because she was willing to have that bondage removed from her life. I've been teaching on this in the, in the St. Clair County Jail, and I was telling the pr pr prisoners, we were talking about the chicken again. I talk about a chicken a lot, you know. What chicken... Do we need to be freed from? What chicken are we feeding? That's a spiritual issue. And it's not solved with more money or more possessions or more things. We come into this world bare naked and we're going to leave the same way. So, going on here, the Lord kind of directed me off there a bit. It says here in Romans 8.15, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. What is the spirit of adoption? Well, we have to go to the Scripture and to the Roman times. Use the natural example to teach you a spiritual truth. 
in the Roman Empire at its height, there was more slaves than there were Romans. And of course, there was very rich people, as there are today. And it became a common practice in the Roman Empire that if a rich man did not have a son or did not have a mature, reliable son, the rich man would be looking for a boy or boys. And the thought was is to train them, educate them, bring them up, and that his estate, his inheritance, would carry on beyond his death. He would use the boys, train them instead of his son, to complete that. So he would send his servants out into the villages and that kind of thing, and they would inquire concerning gifted boys and that kind of thing, super intelligent, whatever, whatever they were looking for. And then the rich man would inspect the, the boy, prospective boy or boys, depending on the size of the estate, and if he felt to do so, he would go to the father of the boy and he would say, I can provide for your son in a manner in which you cannot. I will train him up. I will educate him. I will give him a good education. I will train him in, in finances. I will prepare him. But I want to adopt him. He would become my son. Transaction was completed normally with seven witnesses, and of course the payment would be in gold. And the father would sell the son to the rich man. And then, of course, he would do that. He would raise him up, train him, educate him, and prepare him uh, for a position in his estate his kingdom, whatever you want to call it. So that's what the Romans would do. Now, how that applies to you and me is, is that the rich man is the Father. Our Father in Heaven, the Most High. And He has a Son. And he's the, the heir of the kingdom. Us, the world, universe, everything. He's the heir of it. But he has believers who become co-heirs with him in the kingdom. That's a whole teaching on after the second coming of the new Jerusalem. I won't go into that today. So, we are adopted into the kingdom at salvation. But, there's a big but to that. Sometimes, the boys that the rich men would adopt into their family didn't qualify. 
qualified less. They could not handle a certain level of responsibility. Whatever the case may be, they did not qualify to take over the entire estate when the rich man died. So, in his will, by the way, I'm looking at all the men in this church, I hope everybody has a will. Because my profession prior to ministry, I was in a financial profession for 30 years. I did extensive estate planning and financial planning. I hope you all have a will so you make sure that your wives and your children are taken care of. It's awful quiet. So what would the rich man do if, if he, 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 let's say he adopted five boys and he had an extensive kingdom and they didn't all qualify. So he would assign one over here to take care of this. He would assign you, that's your responsibility over there. Well, it's the same way in the kingdom of God. Jesus is the heir of everything, but he doesn't want us just to be an heir. He wants us to be a co-heir of his kingdom. So the children had to qualify to receive their portion of the inheritance. Just as we have to qualify to receive our inheritance, salvation isn't our inheritance, it's a gift from God. I've thought about this many, many times over the course of years. My sister-in-law led my brother to the Lord on his deathbed. Mary Beth and I led my father to the Lord on his deathbed. Do they get the same reward as Paul? Do they receive the same reward as Peter? What about Abraham? What about Isaac? What about Moses? What about Hosea? What about the Apostle John? Do they get the same reward as them? Absolutely not. Yes, they're in heaven. Praise God for that and His mercy and His love and His understanding. But they didn't qualify for anything else. Because, ladies and gentlemen, they didn't pay the price as a pay the price as a Christian to qualify. Think about that. But, Doctor Ron, how? What do you mean, pay the price? Well, we have to suffer. Romans eight eighteen. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. What do you mean we have to suffer? Absolutely. Jesus set the example for us. How do we suffer? Dying to our flesh. Obedience. Submission. The gift of repentance. 
being changed, godly sorrow, correction, persecution. Oh my, that's coming as surely as the Lord has given me breath. That is coming, people. You see, that message is from Genesis to Revelation, church. It's not popular. No one wants to hear that today. You can go on TV and you can see preachers on TV that have a church so big it's a stadium. And it's full of people that want to hear about prosperity and the feel-good message. But that's not the message of the Word of God. The message of the Word of God is being changed. Not feeding our chickens anymore. That's the message of the Word of God. And that only comes from grace and mercy and love from the Lord. It only comes as we surrender to the Holy Spirit. And I assure you, you're not, and I'm not going to get it my way. And no one in this church is going to. Yes, we're saved. Yes, we're washed clean. Yes, the Lord forgives us for all of our past life and our past sins. But church, we still got this thing called the flesh, don't we? And we still got the ability to sin, don't we? You know, the Lord, and I know you've heard this probably a zillion times, the Lord died on the cross for us. The Bible tells us one of the greatest things a man can do is to die for another human being. And we are called to die to our flesh. We are called to do that. We are called not to feed our chickens anymore. My brother shared the story with me. He was, uh, when I was born, he was in England preparing for the Normandy invasion. He was on the second wave that hit Omaha Beach, fought through France into Germany. He talked about it very little in his lifetime, but he did tell me one story that they're fighting through France and they're behind this big hedge and a German throws a hand grenade through the hedge and lands in the foxholes where they were and the soldier jumped on it and covered the hand grenade with his body to save his fellow men around him. You see, that's what the Lord did for us. He expects us to allow him to put to death our chickens. So we can become closer to him. So we can hear his voice more. This message is as much for me today as it is for you. I ask you a question. 
when was the last time you delighted and ran to do your Bible reading for the day? It's a valid question. When's the last time you delighted? You couldn't wait to go in your wherever you meet with the Lord and meet with Him. But this got in the way, and that 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 got in the way. You know what I'm talking about. Ladies and gentlemen, I want the word chicken engraved in your mind and in your heart. And the next time your chicken rises up, recognize it and ask the Lord how He wants to deal with your chicken. And when he deals with it, I guarantee you, it will get skinnier and skinnier and skinnier until it will have no breath left. Do you hear me? Let's close. Father, we come to you and we thank you for the word today. We thank you, Lord, for the love that you have for every one of us in this room. We thank you, Lord, for taking us out, bringing salvation into our lives. But, Lord, we ask you, cause us to be co-heirs with you, not just to be satisfied with salvation, not just to be satisfied where we are, to sit in our comfort zones, Lord, and sit in our comfort zones and dwell in our comfort zones. Cause us, Lord. Help us. Help us, Lord. Come into our lives. Show us what our chickens are. Help us to be honest with ourselves and with you and mortify them, Lord, please, and put them to death. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.